Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 223 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we went back to our roots and took a look at uh, websites we now use and how the way we use websites has, has changed dramatically in the last few years. We were both at the ABA's Law Practice Division's fall meeting last week, and we noticed how difficult it was these days to make general technology recommendations to people as tech becomes more personalized and and everybody has a different experience uh, on the devices and uh, the software that they use. So that seemed like a great topic for a podcast for this time. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing how the growing personalization of technology is having a serious impact on how we explain and or recommend and or share technology with those that we interact with. In our second segment, we'll talk about Google finally pulling the plug on its social networking platform, Google+. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, personalized tech and uh, what we're finding to be is the difficulty of making recommendations to friends and colleagues. You know, over the past few months, Dennis and I have both been noticing that it's been harder to have conversations with uh, people around us about the types of technology that they should buy. When we were both at the Law Practice Division meeting this month in October of 2018, um, I think we saw the issue firsthand. Dennis, what conversations got you interested in this topic? Well, there were a couple of them, but I think the the main one that we had was uh, when we were talking with our super fan, Debbie Foster, and both you and Debbie were talking about coming up with uh, topics for, for columns that you write, and she has a products or review column. She asked us if we had some good ideas, and, and I think that between us, we probably came up with a dozen truly great ideas and she hated all of them and and that you know thought that it didn't quite reach her audience or only covered certain things or she wasn't interested or other people might not be interested in or what we were talking about was just you know in our little niche and well let's um, be fair let's be fair she didn't hate any of them well maybe she hated a couple of them but <laughs> she didn't hate all of them it's just that none of them completely worked out for her the way that she would want them to. 
Right. And and I think that when I wrote the ABA Journal column that I would run into the, the same sort of thing. But I think it's more acute now because what I find is that everybody does have this sort of different setup and they have uh, different beliefs, sometimes very strongly held about, you know, what they will use, what they won't use, uh, you know, what they're interested in, what they're not interested in. And then I think when you actually sit over, you know, look over somebody's shoulder and try to help them, they're setup and what they're seeing and the experience they have is completely different than what you and I use, Tom. And I think that uh, a lot of people will, will see that more, more and more. So I think there's these great benefits to personalization, but one of the drawbacks is it does make it difficult to be like, oh, let's, let's, let me recommend something generally to you about technology or let me help you fix something. And then you look at what they're doing and you say like... I'm not even sure what you're looking at there. Well, and I think that some of it has to do with personalization, but I'm going to broaden the topic a little bit because I think that there was a time when it was easier to have these conversations, I guess partially because there wasn't as much personalization going on. But I will also say that the folks that we were having these conversations with weren't as familiar with technology or hadn't seen everything or there was a kind of a limited universe of what to see and it was easier to introduce them to new things, easier for them to have an open mind about it. These days, I think, Everyone is using some type of technology. They found stuff that works for them. They're familiar in general with what's out there, what they use, what they like. And so I think it's easier for them to know what they don't like because they've gotten used to something because, as you say, they've personalized it to make it closer to them. And so I think that that affects how they look at new technologies and or any other options other than what they've been doing. Right. So I, I think there's I think there's that. I, I mean, as you said, it was what was interesting in the dynamic of the conversation we had with Debbie is Debbie had some really cool ideas herself that you and I shot down as well because we were like, you know, okay, there's two people, you know, who are going to be interested in, in that. That's what really got me thinking. And, you know, sometimes that we are in, so sometimes it can be that we're in these different worlds uh, where there are clear splits or you're, uh, the other thing I, I find really common is older versions. But, you know, a lot of times, Tom, when you and I are talking, you are really deeply in the Google world and I'm really deeply in the, the Apple world. And, you know, sometimes you'll be talking about some cool new Google product and I I just have no, I have no knowledge of it. I, and I know I'm not going in that direction. So there's this sort of gap there where what you might tell me about that or what you might be thinking like, oh, this would be great to, for you to try. I'm just not going to go there. And, and I think we see more of that with technology than maybe we ever have before. Well, let's be fair here that at least when I talk about the Google world, they are apps that you could use even in your Apple world because Google travels over to all platforms and wants everyone to try its products. Whereas I couldn't try your Apple products in my in my Google world because Apple just wants to play in its own walled garden. But I'm not passing any judgment there when I say that. But I would say that it's not really that hard to have conversations about that. I mean, there is a clear split between iOS and Android. There is a clear split between Windows and, and Mac OS or OS X, however you want to frame it. But I would say that it's really not difficult to have conversations. Once you're in a particular camp, 
it's hard to get out. It's hard to cross platforms. You know, I tried for very long to be a Mac guy and a Windows guy and an Android guy, and I couldn't make it work. Um, I think, frankly, the harder conversations are around tools that don't necessarily fit into these splits or even tools that are in a particular category. I mean, I, I think that one thing that I find makes it very difficult is just the sheer number of tools that are out there, the sheer number of apps that are out there. I would, I'm going to use a really silly example, um, a weather app. There must be 200 weather apps for Android. And I would imagine that there are similar amounts for iOS as well. And there are lots of articles out there saying, here's the best weather app for your phone. And they all have a different app that they recommend. And I think that just the number of choices, when we didn't have a lot of choices out there, we could make it easy. It was an easy choice, whether we we're going to say, you want a Dell computer, because there just weren't a lot of other computers out there. Um, now, we've got so much choice, so many options that it's really hard. Yeah. And I, I think that also you sometimes run into these, when you and I talk about the Google, I'd say it's more on the Google hardware side that I sort of have that feeling that I, you know, I don't think I'm going there, but I think there are, you do run into these showstoppers, you know, where you go, Hey, have you, do you have uh, you know, an Amazon echo? And somebody says no. And, and you're like, Hmm, well, okay, next, next, <laughs> next topic, you know? And so, so I think you sometimes see those showstoppers out there. And then I also think as, as we've gotten more into our devices and how we use them, I'm finding that people have a tendency to say more things like, I don't use this or I won't use that. And, you know, I've heard people say, I don't do voice or, you know, I don't want to use, uh, you know, OmniFocused or a to-do list tool. And, and I think that, you know, when people ask you for help or recommendations and you go like, oh, here's some great things. And they go, I don't do that. Or I don't use apps or I don't want to use cloud stuff or, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think that that also has come more into the conversation in, in the last couple of years than, than maybe I've ever seen before. I totally agree. And I and I will find, you know, my example when you said that is um, I've got several people who say, uh, you know, I've got a problem, but I refuse to use technology to make it better. I've got two or three examples of people who've said, I hate having to come up with complicated passwords, but I hate even more using a password manager. They should make passwords easier is the response that I usually hear. Everybody should let me use the same password on every site rather than learn about a new technology. I I've got a problem, but I'm not going to recognize that there's technology that can help with that. So I, I think that's definitely, you know, an issue with it. Now, what I usually do when there's reluctance, when there's a hesitancy, is my standard response is use what you've been using. You're comfortable with it. It works for you. You know, we talk a lot about on this show about finding new ways to use the tools that you already have. And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's always a valid point and say, you know, if you want to upgrade, maybe you still keep this and you still use it as long as you can. I, I'm, I used to be about all about the new shiny and telling people, oh no, you've been using that for too long. You need to upgrade and you need to get a brand new X. I don't do that anymore because it's just too hard to convince somebody to move away from something that has become tried and true, something that they've been using for a long time. They are comfortable with it. They like it. So let them keep using it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, 
somebody has an app or what they use that they become super comfortable with and they don't want to make changes to it. And, you know, there's this, to me, like this over concern that if I update software, I'm going to, you know, destroy everything and brick my device or my computer. And so that's the other thing that I noticed. Some, somebody will ask me a question about doing something. I'm like, well, yes, you can, you can do that. And, then I look and there are like several, you know, there are several versions of an operating system behind or, you know, I don't use Windows that much anymore. But so when I go to troubleshoot and I use Windows 10 um, at home when I do use Windows and somebody asked me to troubleshoot and it's back on Windows 7 or something. And yeah, the stuff is not where you expect it to be. And you go, man, this is security wise. This is not safe. You know, you're using all these things and then you're complaining about lack of features, you know, and I would go like, look, all you need to do is update to the new version. So I think, you know, as a lot of us became sort of like the the home and family IT expert and sometimes for colleagues as well. But when people are using old versions and you're just not used to that, um, I think that also makes it really difficult to uh, provide sort of general advice to people or help them out. Well, I'll say I think that the best advice there is you're using an old device. I mean, I have I have a number of friends who continue to ask me for help on their iPhone, and they're using an iPhone that I don't think has been sold in several years, and I don't even recognize what kind of iPhone that it is. And my first recommendation is you're not taking advantage of everything that Apple has to offer. You need to, to upgrade on that. But I think we run into the this is what I'm comfortable using, or I don't like upgrading because I don't know what's going to happen to me. I might, you know, we hear at this time that we're recording, we hear that the the October update to Windows is deleting files. Well, you know, if I'm the average user, I'm going to think, well, no way am I going to update. I'm going to keep the same version that I've got and just hang on to it because I don't want to delete my files rather than actually go and find out what's going on and understand it. There is that tendency to want to hang on to that, which I think does make it a lot more difficult, although I would say our answer is easy. To solve your problem, you need to upgrade. You need to change things. I think that there are a lot of individuals who have requirements for technology that aren't realistic. This is one of them. I'm using old technology, but I want it to do what all the new technology does. Or I need to be able to do this, but... Your first recommendation to me is a non-starter because I can't possibly learn how to use that. So come up with something else. I think that when we have unrealistic expectations, it makes us a lot harder to do that, to make recommendations that make sense. When I, I think there are, and then also this hesitation toward using cloud tools. If, for some of the reasons that, that you've talked about, I have people say, like, why don't you use this? There's this tool, it's a cloud-based thing, it's free, it will do exactly what you want. And they go like, well, I wanted to do that, but they needed a username and password. And I didn't want to, you know, I have enough passwords as it is, you know, that sort of thing. Or I don't get this, or this is one more place to do something, or, you know, I... Or it's in the cloud, and I don't want to keep my stuff in the cloud. It's in the cloud. I I should, I want to have stuff on my own computer, you know, that sort of thing. And then they'll go off on a rant about technology and how it never does what you want. And you go like, well, you know... You kind of look in the mirror here because, you know, there are plenty of the cloud-based tools. And for 
a lot of the people we know, the information you're storing in the cloud is going to be way safer than one sitting in on your device or your computer in the way that you use it. I was just talking to a friend of mine today who's going to do a cybersecurity presentation. And as happens many times, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to do the demo where they get people to log into the free Wi-Fi in the room and then show them how how you can either get onto their phones or their phones can be compromised. And, you know, it's a, that demo never gets old. I mean, people never quite learn. All right, Dennis, I think at the risk of us just complaining about other people not taking our recommendations and making this kind of a, a wine session for us, let's talk about a path forward and wondering what can we do in the future about this? I don't think that it has to get worse. I don't think that, I think that there is a path for it. I think if someone asks for a recommendation on technology, there are a couple of basic questions. You know, what platform or platforms do you use or are you willing to use? What are you using now and how do you like it? Are you open to trying something different? You know, getting those basic answers at the beginning, I think can help you narrow down recommendations that you have for them, or at least tell them, you know what, here's why I can't make a recommendation for you because you have too many limitations to what you're expecting. And I think that it doesn't have to get worse, but I think that we have to be a little bit more practical on how we offer the advice because today people just have too many ideas in their head based on what they're seeing, what they're already using, and what they expect their technology can use. Dennis, any final thoughts that you might have? Yeah, I think it's good for people, you know, when you ask for help, not to be so helpless, you know, and not to be stubborn. You know, like there's a lot of stuff, Tom, you and I don't know. We ask each other dumb questions all the time. We look up all kinds of stuff on Google. And so the fact that you don't know how to do something is not a big deal. I mean, like nobody, nobody can know everything. But most of the things you can find you know, doing Google searches and, you know, having an open mind to be willing to try things. And then also, you know, that stubbornness I see from people, that notion of, I won't do this, I won't try that. You know, I tried this stuff back in, you know, 10 years ago, why should I try it again kind of thing. And then that fear of the cloud are the things where I just kind of step back and look at yourself and say, look, there's a lot happening to make things easier to use, to do more things, and especially get into newer versions of things. And so I think that, you know, to be, I just recommend people kind of move to today and not get so stuck in the the good old days of the of the past, which they think are good, um, but they're missing out uh, much better days right now. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year.
Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Google Reader, Google Wave, Google Buzz. This podcast has a long tradition of mourning the loss of Google products and services. We now add another one to the list, although I don't think this one is really going to be missed that much. We note the announcement of the closure of Google's much ballyhooed Facebook and LinkedIn killer social networking platform, Google+. Perhaps you remember it, but I doubt that you still use it. Tom, big news, little news, or no news? Well, first I got to say that my heart gave a little flutter when you said Google Reader and Google Wave. Those were tools that were dear to my heart, and I really liked them, and I'm really sad about it. As far as Google Plus is concerned, I would say no news, except for the way in which it came about. To me, I would have expected Google Plus to sort of die a slow, ignominious, quiet death. I've been expecting it to go away for some years now. It's just not really a social network that people talk about very much, except for I think it's become kind of a social network for some niche groups, um, especially tech groups that really love using it. But I just don't see it having the critical mass that the other social media, uh, social networking sites have. What led to its demise, actually, was a security flaw. There was a security flaw that was discovered way back in March of 2018 that exposed the profile data of about half a million users. I'm not sure. Was it 2015, Tom? Was it 2015? Oh, I thought it was this year. I thought it was no, March of this year. I thought it was a year. couple years ago, yeah. Well, whatever it wound up being, it's way too long, I think, to notify people or to admit that, oh, by the way, we had a security flaw um, and we're just finding out about it right now. But when Google combined that with the fact that the consumer side really had low usage and engagement, they actually reported that 90% of Google Plus user sessions last less than five seconds, which is just mind-boggling to me when I think about all the time that people spend on their Facebook page, and then they go to Google Plus, and they're spending less than five seconds there. You just can't do anything in five seconds. It just made sense for Google to shut it down. Um, I think apparently there are some companies who still use Google Plus for their employees as sort of a corporate social network. And that product is going to stick around and apparently have some improvements. But I'm not surprised or sad in this case that Google Plus is gone. I, I haven't posted anything there in years uh, because it just didn't get the traction that it needed, which really kind of leads me to my main point, which is Social networks that can't get critical mass aren't going to make it. I, I would be really surprised if a new social network would make it today, unless one of the big ones, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, if it went down in flames and created an opening for something, that would be a place to do it. But I think I've seen too many social networks come up that have failed to gain any traction. And I just think it's because we don't want multiple places to go and we're satisfied with what we've got. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one to me for a number of reasons. You know, first of all, I would say that anytime Google kills off something, and, and I saw it today with people talking about Google Plus, is immediately people go back to really mourning the loss of Google Reader. We were a small audience for Google Reader, but my God, we were committed to it and, and we miss it. But I think that Google Plus, not that sense. I mean, in a way, I mean, I guess it's more of a surprise you feel that, that people were still using it. An interesting thing about Google and probably any networking tool or other tool when you have such a gigantic audience and in such a such a big company where Google will take a look at that sort of bottom 10% of products and make perfectly rational decisions about getting rid of them. But it has an impact on a lot of people. So that's whenever Google announces something new, I'm always a little bit dubious because I, I say, well, if it doesn't catch on in, you know, like in a huge, huge way, it's, it's possibly going away. The other thing that uh, the security issue around Google Plus is also interesting because Google was promoting Google Plus as, as sort of like an identity store in a way so that you could sign in to other services using your Google Plus identity. So I think that raises some worries about any kind of security issue around it. And in a way, it's a little bit of setback for those of us who would like to see single sign-on because you would like to say, oh, it is the idea of having one identity that I can use to sign into, into multiple things is great. But I probably, at this point, I'm not sure about using Facebook for that. I'm probably not sure about using Google for that. So I, I, it's maybe we've taken a step backward on that sort of federated uh, single sign-on identity. But as a social network, boy, I just don't even know the last time I did it in time. It's almost when you say like the average visit is five seconds, it almost seems like it's the land of bots, you know, because yep. bots are the only things that can look at it in five seconds. So I mourn the other ones, definitely. But this one, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know that it's good riddance, but I don't think it's a major news item. Um, at this point. In the interest of accuracy for our listeners, I've gone out and found that the bug itself has existed since 2015, but it was not discovered and patched until March of this year, which I think is truly extraordinary that it took that long for Google to find that. Um, a, a company that is, I think, really now committed more to security, seems that seems an awful long time to uh, have let a bug like that go. And yet another reason that people should update their software for security reasons alone. So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. All right. My tip this week is more to show Dennis that I am not the complete Google fanboy that uh, he believes me to be. And I will direct you to the site called No More Google, which offers you privacy-friendly alternatives to Google that do not track you. It's a list of links basically to other tools. So if you don't want to use Google Chrome, here are the other tools that will not track you. Google search, passwords, Google analytics, options to Google Docs or Sheets, options to YouTube, um, options to Google Maps or Google Authenticator or Blogger or Google Drive. It's just a bunch of links of other types of tools that are alternatives to Google. If you are genuinely concerned about them tracking you, if you're genuinely 
genuinely concerned about them capturing information about you, um, then these are all, I think, worth looking at uh, as potential options for Google. It's just called nomoregoogle.com. Then I, I found an article today by Xavier Beauchamp Tremblay called Boring Game Changers to Improve Your Practice on the Canadian great website, blog site, uh, SLAW, S-L-A-W. It's one of those useful things that, and Tom even mentioned it earlier, that we, we always say if you could use what you have a little better and then look for small changes that give you good results and kind of make your life easier. And this article is really good, and it just talks about some things like the the calendar scheduling tools, text expander tools, and just little ways that you can simplify what you're doing with technology and get kind of really productive results in ways that you aren't going to go around and say, oh, my God, I just found the coolest thing, but it will really help you. And so sometimes uh, boring is good. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. We've got a voicemail at 720-441-6820. We'd love to feature your question for our B segment. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.